Coming up, today's guest spent the bulk of her career as an investor and most recently managing $2 billion, that's B, billion dollars of consumer stocks. You're about to discover how she made sure her idea can be a sustainable business, how she created brand ambassadors, and finally, how to create a brand, not just a product. All that and so much more. The most action-packed content from the top mobile experts. This is the App Masters Podcast with Steve P. Young. For just one low monthly price, you will discover our greatest growth hacks to driving massive downloads. You can learn more on appmastersacademy.com. With over 120 million happy users, Theorem Reach is helping app developers make more money with fun, rewarded surveys that you can easily add to your app. Go check out theoremreach.com to learn more. What is up, App Nation? It is Steve P. Young, founder of AppMasters.com, the place you go when you want action-packed content related to growing your app downloads and your sales. Because what I try to do, frankly, is talk to some phenomenal people in the app space and get their insights on how they've been able to do it, digest all of that, and regurgitate it all back to you guys so that we can all collectively learn and grow together. Today, I've got a phenomenal guest. So if you've got a son, like my son has a peanut allergy. So if you have a kid or a loved one that has any food allergy, then this is the app for you. Go check it out. It is spoken.com. But I have the founder and CEO of Spoken. So it's S-P-O-K-I-N, spoken.com, Susie Hultquest. And she's going to talk all about, her background is being an investor, most recently managing $2 billion, that's with a B, of consumer stocks. And she left it all behind to build Spoken. So I want to learn more about that. But Susie, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Excited to be here. All right, Susie, what made you leave this past life of being an investor? I would <laughs> think it's a coach life. Like, why would you leave such a great life? It was a great life, but Girl Scout cookies made me do it. And <laughs> it's, a, it's a true story. I was getting ready for an earnings call, and my assistant, my beloved assistant, asked me to buy Girl Scout cookies. And I, I knew my call was in 15 minutes, so I thought, okay, no problem. Um, my daughter has food allergies. One of my three daughters has food allergies, and we don't bring anything in our house that's not safe for her. So it affects all five of us. Actually, all six of us now because we have a dog and we have to care, you know, we care about what he eats. And so I, you know, it took a second, I thought, would be a second to look at the Girl Scout cookies. But I looked at the package and I could see the ingredients, but I didn't know anything about the facility. So I went to the website. I looked at the facility. We live in Chicago and two different manufacturers make the thin mints. So I had to figure out which one went to Chicago. And then I ended up texting a few friends who had kids with food allergies and it's like, hey, are these safe? Like, can we eat these or not? And my assistant was like knocking on the door, like your call's starting, you got to get on. And I was like, well, that was 15 minutes. And, you know, I spent the bulk of my career as a math person. And I thought, okay, 32 million people have food allergies. So just now, if we all look at Thin Mints, not only are we recreating the wheel, we just spent 8 million hours on the same thing. And I thought, okay, like, that's insane. And my daughter at some point was, you know, in her early teens, she's going to be the one who has to exhaust herself, you know, as, as you do as a parent. She's going to have to spend a lot of time over the course of her life, as there is no cure to food allergies, 15 minutes a day will amount to a year of her life. And I thought like, 
you know, in the days pre-pandemic, I was thinking I could have a stranger walk in my house and walk my dog or rent a villa in the south of France faster than I could figure out Girl Scout cookies. And I just couldn't like live with this idea that she would spend a year of her life trying to figure out whether it's food or makeup or sunscreen or a restaurant or bakery or a baseball game or Lollapalooza or college. Like I started to think about like so many things that we consider and I can't cure it, but I could save her time. And I, you know, studied internet companies and structured data. And I thought, let me just build something where everybody could share five things. We'd have a 165 million data points. And then my daughter will have a much easier life and maybe have time to call me 15 minutes a day. So that's really what made me leave. Um, what well, was a great career, but, um, you know, time for something new. I like it. And I think with your background, what I want to get into as well is like, when you're thinking about the idea, well, one thing, Susie, what's, what's your daughter's allergy? Cause my son has a peanut allergy and I'm like, I don't, you know, I just look at the box and be like, okay, no peanuts. Cool. Here, eat. Well, <laughs> you seem to have to do so much more work than what I'm doing. Well, I mean, first of all, my daughter is allergic to peanuts and most, but not all, tree nuts. So, you know, she's very allergic to life-threatening allergy to cashews, pistachios, you know, walnuts, pecans, but she she can have almonds, she can have coconut, et cetera. I mean, I think what you're saying is what's, what's really interesting is there's not one approach to food allergies. There's a range. So some people are like you, like no peanuts, cool. Um, some people will, you know, we, you know, that's a dad kind of typical dad response, <laughs> yeah. but, um, and that's all, that's all right. Cause we need like a balance. And there's some people who like, you know, frankly, like while there's different approaches, there's also different degrees of allergies and the testing right now is super crude. So somebody could walk in a room and like have a peanut across the room and have a reaction. Clearly that's probably not your son, yeah. but so there's, and past reactions don't, you know, there are no predictor of future reactions. So you could maybe eat something one time and the next time you eat it, um, you have a different type of reaction. So really like murky, frankly. Um, and there are things, you know, there are steps that some people take that, okay, is it in the ingredients? If it's not, I'm fine with that. You know, peanuts are one of the top eight allergens. So the FDA mandates that it has to be listed. There's lots of allergens. We have 88 on our app. There's lots of allergens that aren't one of the top eight, like sesame. And so to navigate that is a lot more work. Um, and so even if it's all on the label, you're talking about food, doesn't really help you with the restaurant. So if you're coming to Chicago or you want to go to London or my daughter's taking Mandarin and she wants to go to like China one day, it's not just food. It's also a bakery. It's also finding you know a restaurant. It's also like, how do you go to a Cubs game? You know, we're Chicago fans, we're Cubs yeah. fans and like, sitting around all the peanuts, like how, how do you navigate that? Um, you know, we're also building a community. So food was like the beginning of the journey for us. And actually, as we got more further down the line and peel back the onion, it really is it's complicated. Now, Susie, with your background, you being so mathematical and coming from the investor background, I love the approach because a lot of us entrepreneurs who don't have that background, maybe we're developers, right? The developers in the audience who are like, I can code this. I'm going to go and just build it myself. What were you kind of analyzing and looking at the market to make sure that this was a sustainable business? Yeah. I mean, so I am a mother and you know, that does drive you in, in an incredible way, but I am also a business person. And so the capitalist side of me was like, can this actually be a business? And, you know, what I really looked at was companies like WebMD, which, you know, are 
wonderful platforms that you see, you know, or, you know, I would actually get down the rabbit hole quite a bit on that, um, you know, that didn't really have personalized information. So what I found is I could look up things on food allergies, or I have other daughters with other health issues, or be worried about something. And I felt like everything out there was so generalized. And they were, at the time that I looked, making a billion in ad revenue on something that, and I have a ton of respect for WebMD and they're friends of ours, but I felt like it wasn't really solving my problem. Mm. And so, you know, the business side of me thought, you know, not only could we help first and foremost, people managing food allergies, you know, themselves, who, by the way, as a consumer, there's no cure. Um, and I, I hope there is a cure one day, but your son, I don't know how old he is. He will have this rest of his life. Mm. Did you say 12? Yeah. 12. So, you know, he's going to be, you know, 25, he's going to be 35, he's going to be 50, he's still going to have a peanut allergy until there's like a treatment or a therapy. So if you can find a business as a consumer, it's not fickle, this isn't like fashion, which I studied as well, but someone who has a daily need multiple times a day for the rest of their life, that's very interesting from a business perspective. And then you have these businesses, it's not just 32 million people have food allergies, I conservatively say it affects 128 million people because our family of five we don't buy a birthday cake we don't get a pizza delivered it doesn't work for my daughter not that everybody does it that way but even the overnight camp my kids go to and we write a decent sized check for that the one we picked that they go to every single year we had to make sure it worked for her so the other side of this is like any business that wants to directly market or needs to market to this community um it's pretty significant consumer population and one of the things that we were really thoughtful about doing is capturing data. So, um, you know, when a user signs up on our app, we know exactly what they're allergic to, even down to it may, you may be allergic to tree nuts, but not coconut. We separate each one. There's a lot of coconut based products right now for the plant based community. We actually know down to each person who can safely eat any food product. And we know, you know, their age, we know where they live, um, and we also know their behavior. So we know on the app who likes ice cream, we know who likes to eat at bakeries, um, we know birthdays, you know, we, we have a lot of information that, frankly, I talked to the head of Facebook business development, and she said, I'm actually jealous of your data, you know, and, and it's helpful because we don't want to put peanut butter recipes or peanut butter products in front of you and your son, it would be bothersome and not valuable. And so... Um, we do it always leading with, would this help somebody with food allergies? And I started to think about it with companies pay, you know, not just food, but think about it. There's pharma companies out there, uh, which obviously have, you know, deep pockets. Um, there's travel industries. There's a, there's a lot of businesses out there that if people are looking through that filter that they would potentially want to market directly to eventually one day. The other thing I want to get into, there's so much I want to get into with some of the, the product side and in the leap and how you go from being someone who was an investor to now starting your own business. Was it difficult to leave that job and be like, okay, I'm going to go full board on this. I'm always curious about how people make the leap into entrepreneurship. Well, the truth of the matter is there's a few factors. One, I had been in that business for quite a long time. I was actually pretty bearish um, on actively managed mutual funds and I was bearish. I had covered retail and I was really bearish on bricks and mortar retail mm -hmm. and I was really bullish on the internet space. And so I, there was a number of things that were happening um, and my company had been acquired several times and I really felt like I had something big in me still. And I was looking at what I was covering. The thing is I got, I got excited about actually when I left, I was able to then to buy stocks in my own space and I put 
my own personal money to space that I was most bullish on, um, which was stuff I, you know, just, you know, just couldn't invest in there. And so um, I'm still like an investor. I'm still super active in, in the market, but I had, to, I had an opportunity to kind of accelerate um, some money that I had on the table. And I took that window. Um, I also felt really pregnant with this idea and maybe delusional, but I felt if I didn't do it, who was going to do this for my daughter? I felt like, you know, one, I first and foremost know exactly what it feels like to be the parent. I see what it looks like every day, what we're dealing with. You know, now my daughter's wearing makeup, something I never thought about before. Now we have to make sure that's safe. I've never even thought about that. So I'm living it firsthand. I felt that I understood, you know, structured data and how important that was. I knew what it was like to build a brand. I saw the value of companies that I was invested in, like Lululemon. They didn't just make a product, they built a brand. I had a culture. And I felt like, I mean, I guess delusional maybe, but I felt like if I don't do this, who's going to do this? And what's my daughter's life going to be like? And I felt like called to it. Like I had no choice. I literally no idea what getting into. Um, I did connect with um, Andreessen Horowitz, the VC, you know, in Silicon Valley. And through um, one of my investments, they were an investor in there. And they introduced me to an app developer in Chicago. And so I felt um, he helped start the business originally. He's no longer with the company. But I felt like, you know, I don't know that part of it. I didn't know the technology part of it. I didn't know how it just could be built. But if there was a way, I knew I could figure it out. So um, I had the blessing, thankfully, of my husband. And, you know, just felt like I, I just had to do it. Like, there, I just had to. There's so much I want to get into with you and about how do you listen to your customers? Because I believe that the main theme of this conversation as we get into the more of the, the product side of things is going to be the retention side. So how do you listen to your customers? How do you build that brand and not just a product? Something I'm really forced to like focus on too. Is, and then how do you hire the right people? I know you got a formula for this, but let's talk about the very beginning. I know something that really worked well for you was really listening to your customers. Yeah. So, I mean, I have a... Um... I, it's a secret sauce. I mean, no doubt, but like, you know, there's a few things. One, um, I started a, a fundraiser back in 2008, the other recession. And um, so I knew a lot of people in the food allergy community and I tried to find people who had food allergies who didn't like know and love me and just like put uh, an app prototype in front of them. And what I realized is like, you know, sometimes you go to the store for milk, but you come home with ice cream. Like people don't even know what they want. And um, I ended up talking to um, some big health platforms that have come through in the public space and asked them, what did everybody do in the health space that they like, got wrong? Like, why didn't you acquire more? Um, and the company is called Everyday Health. And the CEO founded that company and told me engagement. Everybody missed engagement. And I realized that what everybody was doing before they went to bed at night, you know, um, the clean version was that they were all looking at Instagram and they did it because it was beautiful and it was interesting. And I, I knew deeply that we would have to do something really engaging. And so we really sat and thought about a few things that you just touched upon. You know, one is we, we really knew we had to have the brand stand for something. So we always said, you know, we wanted to be your beautiful, smart, kind friend that shared the best of everything with you. So if you said to your buddy, like, you know, I love that shirt. I don't know if that's a conversation you guys have, but like, he would tell you, oh, you know, this is where I got it at. And it was on sale, by the way. You know, we, we actually, our brand uh, muse is Gwyneth Paltrow. And we like to think of ourselves as like the goop for food allergies. And so we're really like, we're, we're kind, we're smart, we're, you know, we share, and that's kind of who we are. Listening to the consumer you know, I answer every support email. I manage every social, every social media. 
piece. And, and I, I think I will always maybe do that because that's where you really learn and you listen and you get feedback that's not just always great, but where you maybe took a misstep. And so that, that's another critical part. And we started an ambassador group, um, which we use. Um, we talk to them every single day and we have different, um, different categories. We have moms, we have young adults, we have teens. And we don't design anything in the app. You know, we're always enhancing features or adding new features. It comes from them. So we're like, you know, are you, and we use metrics and data to see like, are they actually looking at recipes? Are they looking at our brand partners? Like, yeah. are they looking at the map? And, you know, where do they drop off? And so like, we, we're, what are you trying to do? You know, we just do our best to listen and stay super close. It's been an absolute like secret sauce for us, you know, because they tell us where they want us to go. Yeah. And I love it. And I love that you as CEO and founder, you're like, you're doing the support emails. And I am like, you guys should do that. Cause I'll talk to clients sometimes and they're like, you know, can you help us with that? Can you I'm like, no, you should do that. Like that should be your primary focus. The, the, the product. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's the thing is like, and I can't tell you how many situations we've had where someone was mad and I'll give an example. We said something with allergen free. And, you know, you could technically be allergic to anything. And we've learned from that, like, you know, we, the, the, it was a Nutella recipe, but it had sesame. And people were furious at us. And it, we stopped and we're like, you know what? You're 100% right. And we hear you. And what else can we do for you? And we've turned people from, like, foes to friends. And I think people just need to be listened to and heard. And, and you know, if you're, you're not making it for yourself, in this case, you are making it for yourself, but you're making it for those people who are managing it. So, um, you know, I think that you can't be any closer. And, and we actually, we actually document everything. And so one big filter we look through is all people, most people, some people, few people. So you have a really angry person, but the only person saying it. So we try to put, you know, some quantitative filters on it and say, is everybody asking or a few people asking? And we try to be disciplined. It can be kind of an emotional business. When people say, I love it, you can get sucked into it. Or I hate it, you get sucked into that too. So you really have to layer in some like rationale, which I'm very used to coming from the stock market. You got to really reduce the emotion at times. All right, Susie, I'm going to use a Benet Brown technique that I heard her do a lot. It's like, oh. say that again. That, <laughs> would you say like the one that every day, everybody? I love that. <laughs> what did you say? say like? Sorry. Say it again. Say it again. You said everybody, somebody, oh, it just rolled oh, off your tongue. I was like, it's beautiful. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. The filter we use. So one of the things you have to think about, is it something that everybody, some people, you know, so everybody, most, some, or few are asking okay. for. So if we, if someone asked for a new feature or, you know, we think about adding something, we say, is this going to help all people? You know, most people, some people, or few people. And if the answer is, like, we get a lot of requests on our app, you create your account, and we have an emoji. And we have some people asking to be able to put their picture. And, you know, they really wanted to put their photo. And for a while, it was like a few people asked, and then some people asked, and it went to most people asked. Now it's all of the young adults. All of the young adults <laughs> want to be able to put their feature. And so it's one of those things that you, you know, not moms. Moms like the emojis. It makes us look young and cute. And, you know, um, it's kind of fun. But you, we really, everything we look through this filter, all, most, some, or few. And it, it helps guide you. I like it. And I'm kind of going through that right now. Is that just curious? Is that you and your daughter, the, ver the main image on the login screen? No. Okay. No. Uh, <laughs> Couldn't tell because no. they're looking down. I'm like, it could be Susie. It could not be. I'm not sure. No, I, I, you know, I, this is not like the Susie show by any stretch. And in <laughs> fact, you know, that was, 
we really were, we were always kind of thinking about swapping that out. You know, that is a mother and a, not necessarily a daughter, we don't know, but they're modeling as such. They come from the Hispanic community. And we, mm. we're, we've always been uh, copying this thought about people of color. It's a huge part of uh, background of what we do. And we tend to swap that out ever so often too, but that's not us. Okay. All right. Just curious. Yeah. The, the one thing I want to talk about too is the ambassadors. Cause you know, I believe in building brand ambassadors and, but I find it so difficult. Like how can I, and I almost feel guilty to do like, how do I ask somebody to be like, Hey, promote my stuff. Like, how, so how are you guys able to find your brand ambassadors? And then how are you able to cultivate them and get them to do stuff for you? So we, we definitely have like this, you know, concept of like crawl, walk, run, and like now we're sprinting. And so we kind of started as a really small group and we were kind of like sheepish about it. We're like, do we have anything to offer to you? And, yeah. and I will tell you that we can't even keep up with the number of people that ask to be part of it. And really mm-hmm. what we say to them is it's for our, we, it's an invite you know, we try to make it sound exclusive, but it's an invite. And, you know, it's for the people that are already sharing reviews. I mean, that's a big, huge part of what we need on the app, like sharing reviews and sharing spoken. And so yeah, that's where we started off. And, and initially we said, you'll get to build the app. You'll get to see like, you know, you'll give us feedback. We'll show you stuff that we're not showing to anybody else. And we recently launched a verified brand program um, last year at the end of November. And what's worked out so wonderfully for the food companies that we're partnering with and our ambassadors is part of when we launch a brand and put them on the app is we allow them to send samples to our ambassadors. And not only do the ambassadors write reviews on the app, so they're getting free products and they love it. So they, what we wanted to do is give them a perk, but it's worked out to like one of those one plus one equals 11 because they're super excited to try products. They make sure on the app that it's safe first. They not only write reviews, but they started naturally posting on it and tagging us. And then we started sharing it. And we recently launched Parquet Cookies. She's been a lot. She's been in the news quite a bit. She's um, a Black-owned uh, founder of an allergy-friendly company. It's a cookie company. And she was recently funded by Jay-Z. She wow. had a national launch at Target. And we. she came to us to market this for her. She sent her cookies to our ambassadors and I think we produced 70 Insta stories for her that day because, you know, our ambassadors, not only is it on our platform, they all post on their platform. And so what it's turned into, I mean, that's a business, by the way, sampling and ambassadors and influencers. And we've grown it within our company because they started doing it. And so now, you know, everybody wants free products. And so, you know, they understand that, um, you know, you you're getting something, we're giving you something and it's worked out really well for us and it continues to evolve. I love that. Okay. Well, here's where I want to get your insights on this, the creating the brand, not just a product. Cause you see, I always feel like sometimes maybe you're thinking about brand too soon and you just have to build a good product first. So where am I wrong in this? And how do you kind of approach this? How do you create a brand, not just a product? Well, you know, for us, we were like, is there a problem and are we a solution? And, you know, I I mentioned it earlier, but I mean, I I remember buying, you know, Lululemon stock at $2.25 in March of like 2008 during the financial crisis. And what I found, you know, they created a, a category but it wasn't just a product. Anybody could make like, you know, yoga pants. They actually right. created a brand. And from all the investments I had ever done, um, I realized that brand was really important. And we thought about it, 
Um, but what forced that discussion was when we created, we launched a content strategy pretty early on because, you know, we put an app out there and, you know, there was not an explosion by any stretch. We kind of accidentally were like, well, let's start an email. And the first email was horrific. It was like Susie's picks, my three favorite things. It was horrible. <laughs> and hopefully it's like deeply buried and no one will ever find it. But the idea was like, if we actually create content, it could stimulate user-generated content. User-generated content is a huge part of what we do. We've got over 50,000 reviews in 79 countries. And that is the, what the origin of the company was in. And so when we started producing content, I read something that was really interesting from first round. Um, and the woman who started the content strategy, um, she was at um, that app, the uh, exercise app, and I'm forgetting the name, but she started a content strategy and she said the whole thing was about, you know, content has to start with a problem and you are the solution. That's how you succeed at it. And so we started thinking about like, yeah, wait a minute, we are in the solutions business. Like that's who we are. And things would happen, like for example, and I'm sorry to share this, but like someone would die from a food allergy and we would say, do we talk about that? And, and then it forced us to really stop and think like, who are we? Um, you know, is that a solution to share that news? And we thought, no, it's not a solution. If there's something that could have been done to avoid that, that's a solution. And so we, it was really, we were really forced because we are proactive in our content strategy and we're also reactive. And so I think things happen along the way that help you formulate that. And I think things just surface up. Um, you know, we weren't going to invest too much in who we are in a brand until we knew if the product worked because if the product didn't work, then who cares about the brand? But it all is, you know, it, it all goes together and then we, it started to get really crystallized for us and it's, it helps um, guide you because when you're really firm on it, it, it helps you guide when you hear a decision like, is this for us? Should we be speaking about the black community? Does that fit into us and our ethos? And so um, it helps you actually be really efficient. I like that. And I think maybe the misconception that I was always thinking was when people are thinking about brand, it's like, yeah, what do you want to be known for? And they always go to like, what should be the color schemes? What should be this? And how should we say this? But I, I like the way you approach it. Like, no, what should we talk about? Like, what do we care about? And how do we produce content? And, and then the brand sort of comes out that way rather than, I don't know, all these other things, all the other factors that I feel like people focus on are not really that important. Mm -hmm. I don't know if you get what I mean, I'm I think Oh, totally, totally okay. know what you're saying. I mean, I mean, the thing is, like, there's such limited. Listen, as a startup, you know, you have such. There's so many things you could do. It's really, you really have to have discipline. And I really take a page out of the playbook from being an investor. When you're looking at a stock, there's one million things you could look at, but honestly, three are the only ones that matter. And so how do you have the discipline to focus on what really matters? So you can come up with the brand colors. I don't know, do the brand colors matter? Like if you pick the best colors, you right. have a business. Yeah. So like, I'm always like, you know, does this matter? Like, can, will we help people with this decision? And will we be able to make money, you know, from this decision? And, you know, how much will it matter? So really want to like be judicious with your time. I'm, I'm an efficiency freak. And so like, I don't want to spend time on things that don't matter, but also know like, you know, you could ask anybody at the company, like I'm maniacal about the words we say, the images we pick and design is different than function. And it really is central to everything we do. And if you can pick a gorgeous picture of an ice cream sandwich, we have an ice cream sandwich guy <laughs> coming out this weekend. It gets people excited and it, it, it does matter versus something that's like flat, you know? So like, does that matter? Do pictures matter? Yes, they do. You know, does the word you use matter? Yes, they do. So you got to decide what really matters and what will get people excited about what you're doing. 
Yeah, I love that. Okay, the last thing I want to get into is hiring the right people. What is your formula for this? Okay, so I read this book that I asked the one of the co-founders of Zoo Lily, who was his favorite author. I used to always ask the, I was like, what books do you read? How do you think about culture? Um, yeah, because you could walk into, I, I'll, I'll never forget, I probably should not say the company, but it's a large publicly traded company. And I'll just share a quick story. I went to visit the headquarters and the CEO at the time, nobody made eye contact with him. <laughs> and he clearly didn't know anybody's name. And people kind of like looked down. In the days that you could like visit the company, they brought in a new CEO and she um, knew everybody's name, people's eyes lit up. And I was like, this is night and day. This is like, you know, this is like culture. So I was always really intrigued. And I bought the stock as much as I could um, <laughs> in that moment. Sold the stock with the, guy, the other guy. Um, but I, I, culture means a lot. And one of the CEOs, Daryl Cavins from Zulily, had recommended this author. And I bought a book and it was about teamwork. And it was a phenomenal book. And it said, when you hire, three things matter. Um, three things. And if you don't have all three, it actually makes you really efficient. When you look at people, um, you decide if they, and the three things were humble, hungry, and I think it was like emotional intelligent, but we've adopted human smart, so we can have three H's. So yeah. humble, hungry, and human smart. Humble, you know, no jackasses. And sorry for the language. Um, hungry, do what it takes to get the job done. And human smart. And that one is like something that you just really can't even teach people. Yeah. And what's really cool about that is if I've ever let down, and it's 100% true, 100% of the time, if I ever like reduced my standard for any one of those things, I've made a hiring mistake every single time. And if you know that somebody is humble and you get that vibe right away, then you move on. You got to figure out the other two before you make, you know, a hire. And the other thing that I would say, you know, we always say we don't agree, but you have to be productive and kind about it. That's really big. And we kind of tell everybody that. And the other thing is Adam Grant had a phenomenal um, video, a TED talk, I think it was on givers, matchers, and takers. Yeah. And so powerful that I actually connected with Adam Grant because I knew I had, if you watch this video, it's like a life lesson kind of video. Um, you want matchers, um, you, you, you want givers, you can tolerate matchers and if you have a taker, you got to get rid of them. Yeah. And um, uh, that, that is those, that book and that video have guided everything that we, we've done in our, in our culture and hiring the right people. So huge fan of, of that. Yeah. I love that book. Somebody was like, I was doing an interview. He's like, Steve, you remind me of this book. You should read this book, Adam Grant. And then I was like, okay, I'll take a listen. I was like, oh, you know, like the, the main thing that I took away from it is like givers usually are good, but they have to also figure out like they have to also take, and then there needs to be a nice blend of both. But like, yeah, I, I love that book. I think it's called give and take, Wait. right? Well, yeah, and I and I didn't even read his book. I actually just watched the TED Talk. It's <laughs> probably all you need um, to do, was, Susie. <laughs> that's all you need to do. But honestly, I tell my children, I tell my children, when you're in someone's house, you say, what can I do to help? Like, Because mm. well, I had nieces and nephews who did that in our home one time. My children were much younger. And they came up to me and said, what can I do to help? And I was like, yeah. what? And I tell my children, literally, before they go to anyone's house back in the day, I would say, I, I want to hear that you've said, what can I do to help? Right. And I think that it applies to a work environment. When you have people who you see are stressed, the emotional part of it, you see somebody, they look really stressed, they look like they have a lot on their plate, and someone can say, hey, what can I do to help? Or if I say, hey, I, I, you know, I'm looking for, you know, I need help with this, we've got a lot on our plate, and someone can say, what can I do to help? Those are the kind of people like that mentality of giving is incredible. Um, conversely, he talks about takers and some are agreeable and some are disagreeable. So disagreeable takers 
I mean, I actually asked somebody to do something and she's like, I'm too busy. I can't do that. And I was like, okay. In my head, I was thinking, I write your check. What do you mean you're too busy? <laughs> right. I, I'm, the, I'm the one you need to make happy. <laughs> but I had this employee that everybody loved and she, that was that employee. She was so rude to me, but everybody loved her. And I actually right. connected through a friend of a friend to Adam. Like, what do I do when I have to let go of somebody that is not nice to me, but everybody likes, like you're going to have an impact on a startup, a small company. And mm-hmm. he, he and I corresponded quite a bit on it. It was super helpful, but um, did you if you How have, did you deal with that? You know, he, he was like, yo, you're in the, like the trickiest of situations because when somebody likes that person, but you, you know, they're a taker and you know, they're not agreeable to you. It's like, you got to get them out as mm-hmm. fast as possible. And you've got to like, kind of, you know, do some damage control, but you have to, like, he's like, you got to get them out. And I was like, no, I mean, that's for sure. Like I went in and watched that person go, I mean, literally the next day after I talked to Adam. So yeah. I like that. The, I love that strategy, Susie. I actually, you know, I I don't know if it's like everything convulges into one where it's like, I don't know if it was a podcast. I don't know if it was a book. I'm just constantly consuming (laughs) audio content. And then, but somebody was saying that like, you know, I say that to my wife, like, how can I help? And it's just that, like, I'm just, if I, if I sense that something might be off, like, what can I do to help? And that's all I say. Cause I'm like, inst- I used to approach it like, what the hell is wrong with you? Why are you so moody right now? Or why are you so cranky? Or why are you pissed off at me? Instead, I just try to approach it like, what can I do to help? What, what do you need? Okay. No joke. I heard that yeah. on like Goop is one of my favorite podcasts and they had this like marriage therapist on yeah. and I'm sure everybody can use that a little bit right now. And literally it was like, just say, what can I do to help? And I was like dying laughing because <laughs> You know, I teach that to my kids. I'm like, you gotta tell my husband, like, like, just do, just say that when I'm like, you know, losing my mind, just say that. And everybody diffuses in that kind of situation. But, you know, that's, totally. it's just, that's it. Imagine. That's it. Yeah, I'm glad, I'm glad you put that in your children. Uh, on that topic of parents, parenting and like husband and wife thing, I, I was listening to Benet Brown. This one, I know for sure it was for her podcast where she was like, look, sometimes, and her husband's name Steve as well. And she's like, look, I'm at 20% right now. I need you to be at 80%. I was like, I love that. You know, like sometimes I just don't feel up to it. And she's just like, look, I'm at 30%. So I need you to make up the last 70% for me. And I just love that <laughs> process too. It's like, well, this is great. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. All right. totally. Susie, this has been absolutely amazing, but let's go to the big finish. I got some fire, like super fast fire questions for you. Okay. So besides obviously spoken, what is one other app that we should definitely check out? Well, I'm a huge fan. I mean, I love podcasts. So Goop, everything Goop, G-O-P, Gwyneth Paltrow, whether it's her travel app, to like it's so curated, you know, you know, her podcast. I mean, I, I, I've never been in therapy. I probably should, but like it's therapy. I even I'm getting upset in my head, like just go listen to group podcast. And I find that I just discovered my daughter has a health condition and this is not a joke. I find like my, my youngest daughter has a health condition that no doctor has, she, no doctor has ever found. And she has seen a lot of doctors and I learned it on the group podcast. And I find like, it's great business advice. It's great brand advice. It's great marital advice. It may not appeal to everybody, but um, it's all in the spirit of striving to always do better in every part of your life. And it's a trusted resource to me. So, I mean, I love it. I'm unashamed. I love it. I love it. And what is one lesson that took you the longest to learn? Mm. Um, I mean, are we talking life or business? I mean, either way, wherever you want to take it. That's why I love this question. Well, I'll, I'll I like life. Business. Okay. okay. Right. Oh, boy. <laughs> well, I guess... Mm, that's a good one. Um, I mean, I think it's not, it's not a hard lesson to learn, like how kindness just rules everything, you know, and 
being collaborative and you know we we get a lot of people who kind of take shots at us at times and we just kind of like you know say hi and all that kind of stuff but i would say from a business perspective we kind of expected to be able to jump into like facebook groups and we thought oh hey we've got this great resource and we and even people say this i'm not sure all the facebook groups are interested and we found that um it wasn't that way you know and they they like doing it their way and they were kept kind of trying to you know, you have got to pay the admin and you got to like, not, not literally, but you have to like play nice. And, you know, they, it's a domain that they own and they're really, really proud of. And they don't really want, even though you would expect them, while oh, they manage a food allergy, they would love this resource. We found they, they haven't um, embraced us like we thought. And we kept kind of trying. And um, we just decided that, you know, you can't put a square peg in a round hole. And we really went towards a lot of the young adults who were really tech savvy, really wanted something easier, really like were craving. And we've really just doubled down our efforts and our resources going towards the people that really want what we're doing instead of, you know, maybe, maybe they like using Facebook and they like searching or they like, you know, the elements that that provides, you know, we, we're never going to beat Facebook for what they're doing, but we found that, you know, if, if, you know, we're just keep doing what we're doing and really just focus our efforts on the people who like see the value right now and, put more efforts into that, you know, I like that. I'll ask you the same question that you asked your CEOs. What books do you read? Mm. So, um, I, I vacillate between, um, I'm an avid, like my relaxing is like learning. Like my, Makes my sense. husband finds it like really kind of annoying. Like I'm not a binge Netflix person or anything like that, but like, I, I actually, you know, I end up vacillating between books I get really into, um, and then also podcasts. So I, I really, my attention span and my is a little limited right now, but I have a few books that I've just like adore. Brene Brown, of course, um, is, is one of them, but there is one book that's been really special to me. And that was Eric Barker, um, Barking Up the Wrong Tree. I don't know if you've heard of that. No, I that. He has a blog. Ah, oh, it's like just so great. And I think the whole spirit of it to me, um, it's got a great ending by the way, but, um, the whole spirit of that book is resilience and, um, it's, you know, you don't, and I have three daughters, I have three teens at this point, and it's really not about being the valedictorian. And I really learned the lesson and, and coming from wall street, you know, you, you make mistakes all the time. And if, you know, 40% of the stocks you buy don't, not work out you know if you don't make mistakes quote unquote then you're not learning and it's really like this element so i'm kind of used to being wrong don't tell my husband that but i'm like used to being wrong you know in the in the stock world and so i think if you're going to be in a startup you're going to just kind of get punched in the face all the time you're going to get a lot of no's you're going to make mistakes but you have to be able to learn from them and eric barker's book barking up the wrong trees is, is just phenomenal i just love that book i'll just call that one out I like it. All right. And I love reading books from all sorts of people. I've been trying to read. I'm reading Curtis Jackson, 50 Cent's book about Hustle Smarter. And I think it, I love the blend, like Brene Brown, Rachel Hollis. My wife makes fun of me. I'm like, I'm reading all these sorts from different authors because I think you can always get some knowledge about something else from a different perspective as well. So thank mm -hmm. you for sharing that. Susie, thank you for coming on. So the app and the website is spoken. So just for search for it in the app store or go check out spoken.com. All that is linked up in your favorite podcast app. So if you click on spoken, you'll be directed to the website as well. Susie, if the audience wants to connect with you anyway, do you want to send them anywhere else? I mean, anybody can email me at Susie, S-U-S-I-E at spoken.com. Cause again, I answer every, every message or DM us on Instagram. And if, I mean, if anybody has food allergies and 
you know, someone with food allergies, you know, I trust, you know, trust that not only will it be helpful, but we're really fun and um, we do fun giveaways. And um, I, I, again, reach out to me directly and I'm happy to help awesome. to help or, or answer any questions. Susie, thank you so much for taking your time and doing this. Thank you, Steve. Really appreciate it. Thank you all for listening. I'll see you on the next chat. Thanks for listening to the App Masters podcast. For show notes and amazing app marketing content, check out appmasters.co.